course of uh, doing the Anatomy of Authors book, which just concluded on Kickstarter, uh, one of the fun bits was getting to research all the different authors' failures and, and moments of hiccups and, and yeah. like being in the being in the ditches. And I want to tell you about <laughs> Edgar Edgar Allan Poe. So his uh, poem, "The Raven," you know, "The Raven," quote, "The Raven Nevermore," one of the most yeah. famous poems in all of English. Do you know how much Edgar Allan Poe ever made for that poem? Literally in oh. every book ever p- produced uh, for kids' uh, education, uh, The Raven. Guess how much? Got to figure out the residuals, the the distribution. I uh, probably gave 10% to his uh, to His, his agent, agent or there. manager. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, his lawyer might have gotten 5%. Yeah, adjusted for today's dollars, probably $150,000. You know what? You'd be very close, Brad, because the actual sum was $9. He made $9 from the Raven. Uh, 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 nine bucks. Couldn't That's even all... round it off to an even 10. <laughs> That's what I said. They couldn't even make it an even 10, those sons of bitches. They're like, nine well, bucks. what do you think about nine? Does nine well, work for you? <laughs> Well, maybe that was after he gave his agent 10%. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I didn't think about that. That's funny. Uh, So I did the math on it, and I went back and looked at the conversion rate with inflation. Uh, A dollar in 1845 would have been about 32 bucks. So he made uh, just over 300 bucks from writing The Raven, one of the most famous and influential poems in in the English language. He made $9.00. Uh, or just over three hundred bucks, and I was I was thinking to myself, well, it sounds like to me like Edgar Allan Poe's got a bright future in syndicated comics. <laughs> well, they've got one thing in common: <laughs> nevermore. Oh, ow, ow, Brad, Brad, that oh, that hit too close to home, my friend. Oh, you think newspapers are coming back? Brad, Brad, they're coming back with a with a charge. Brad, you just wait. I, I believe me. There, there are days that I wish that it would, but I don't think it's happening anytime they're, soon. Newspapers are are pulling their Alexander Hamilton moment and going, "Just you wait, just you wait." <laughs> yeah, we've been waiting. It's been twenty years. Yeah, there's a million things we haven't done, like make an increasing profit. <laughs> yeah, a million and one. <laughs> now I know that. From reading Anatomy of Authors, uh, I did not know this before reading your comic. Edgar Allan Poe was inspired to write The Raven after meeting a raven at Charles Dickens' house. It was a pet of Dickens, this raven. Yeah, isn't that weird that Charles Dickens had a pet raven who was apparently famous in both London and author circles? And uh, Edgar Allan Poe, who's a bit of a sad sack, met the raven <laughs> and was like, oh, oh I, I better write a whole poem about this one. This is amazing. <laughs> now, how did they, could you imagine how that went down? You know, he's he's at a dinner party. Nobody wants to talk to Poe. You know, he's, he's kind of slumped in the corner. <laughs> he's off to the side with the pet. You know the that guy one. at a party that's off the side just petting the dog? Like, I'm fine yeah, over here. Leave me yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah, I know the guy. I am that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting over there by the raven. He's got nothing else to do. He's like, well, fuck, nobody's talking to me. I'll just write a poem. <laughs> um, I'll just stand by the cheese platter and write a poem about this bird. <laughs> That's fine. No, no, Charles Dickens. I'm fine. I'll stay over here. I've been a growling poem. Um, <laughs> but imagine, imagine imagine being Charles Dickens, though, Brad. Yeah. yeah. Your, your bird has inspired someone else. Meanwhile, you're like, that son of a bitch never gave me an idea. 
<laughs> You've been sitting here. I've been feeding you bird feed for years now. Not prompt one out of you. Now this Listen. sad sack comes over here, sits by the cheese tray, and next thing you know, this guy's making nine bucks. <laughs> Look at that millionaire over there with his $9 <laughs> waving into my face. You piece That's... of shit bird. You've been crapping on my Encyclopedia Britannica collection. Oh, get out of my house. <laughs> That's nine bucks I could have had. He just looks at the bird and he goes, nevermore. <laughs> well, on that shitty denouement of a joke, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. First of all, how are you? I feel like I haven't checked in with you all week. You haven't, and it's and and, and it's been noticeable. I uh, I've, I've slipped into a deep dark depression over it. I uh, I no, I've been I've been doing really well. I I can't complain. Things have been and things have been busy, but in a good way. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, I feel like with the with the return of the school year, I'm back at a good schedule again. Uh, yeah. It is oddly helpful uh, when you work from home to have everybody out of the house. Um, yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm back on the track, which is good. But uh, that does actually lead me into my first question for this week, Brad. Do you mind if I jump in on this one? Go right ahead. So, hey, Dave and Brad, longtime listener, first time question asker here. I've been really chomping at the bit to ask you this question. <laughs> By the way, Brad, this question is riddled, riddled with comic lab jokes and references. So I want you to wow. listen to this one. Really, I've been really chomping at the bit to ask you this question. But first, I want to say a big thank you for all the advice you freely give out on the show. I've really learned a lot about making a go of it at sci-fi conventions. <laughs> uh, making a go hmm. of it. Uh, my question might be a little sophomoric, but I figured I'd go ahead and ask anyways. Sorry if it's been asked before. I don't remember things the best when I haven't taken my Kingo Balboa. Wow, that joke. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Uh, do you remember when you called it Gingo Balboa? Uh, Gingo Balboa. That would have been the best commercial ever for Gingo Balboa. <laughs> I'm Brad Geiger, and I take the Gingo Balboa, and it does a good job with my brains. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the question. A while back on the show, Brad announced that he was going to take on some assistance. I don't remember if this was before or after he tipped the guy who delivered his books. Ah, nice. More, more recently, he mentioned that at least one of his assistants had finished up their internship. So my question is this. How did it go? What did Brad learn through the time continuum <laughs> of making comics while working with assistants? Thank you for your time, Gabriel Whitney. Gabriel, that is a fantastic uh, question. I appreciate that, Brad. So tell us about uh, the yeah, office slow, setup. Slow How's... clap for Gabriel. <laughs> slow clap for Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel, you have been taking your Gingle Balboa, and I I applaud you for that. <laughs> so the answer to the to, to the question, uh, how's things been going with an assistant? Uh, so if you remember last episode, Dave, we did the one, three, and five year plans, right? Right. 
And I kind of said there, there was, that I had learned one thing that I was using to try and make my one, three, and five-year plans better. Because a- having taken on an assistant uh, this year, I learned one thing about myself uh, that I, after years of doing this, I really didn't know it. It actually kind of surprised me, to be honest with you. Uh, and and it's something that I'm going to have to master uh, it, 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 it was the main reason that I, I failed as much as I did in the goals that I had for 2019. And it's this, I suck at delegating. I am the world's worst delegator. And it was blindingly obvious uh, by the time I got to summer that I, I, I'm not a very good delegator. Uh, the, my, my assistant is doing just fine. Uh, she came in and not knowing a whole lot about Photoshop, I was able to teach her Photoshop. Uh, and the things that she that I've I've set her out to do, she's doing very well. Uh, I, th- it, there's been a little bit of a learning curve, and uh, to my own detriment, uh, what happens every now and again is it, it, it is you know like I, I get a little bit frustrated that uh, something that I've shown her uh, she she has forgotten how to do right? right 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 and so when that and by the way that's that's called learning and that's called being new at a job and I, I uh, uh, logically I know all of that and I get all of that problem is my brain when when when, I, when it's something that I've shown somebody to do maybe two or three times. And the question is, how do I do this? My brain goes, I can have this done in three minutes and just do it. And right. that's what I do. Because it's like, ah, I don't want to, in the time it's going to take me to, to show this thing again, I can do it. I can just do it. I'm, I, and, and having worked in newspapers uh, on deadline, I've gotten really good at doing really good work really fast. <laughs> so nine chances out of 10, I can just do it. The problem is, is that when you do that, you're not delegating and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I've got to be a I've got to get better at delegating. And and that means being less of a control freak, being a little bit more open to things being done uh, maybe in a different way or taking a different path. Uh, And it also means that I've also got to uh, widen my search. In other words, uh, when this uh, assistant came on, I, I said to myself, oh, I'm going to have her do this and this and this and this and this. And the breadth of the of the list that I had set out for her I, was a little bit ambitious. So like I said during the show last, uh, last week, uh, I think I'm going to need to hire uh, an editor for the webcomics book. And I need to hire somebody to maybe do some other type of work uh, going forward, maybe bring somebody on to do uh, a different small projects. In other words, right, what right. I've realized is not only do I need to delegate more, but I need to delegate two more people. And, and not just put all of it on the shoulders of one assistant uh, and, and expect that she can be a jack of all trades. I'm going to need to uh, delegate uh, to a webmaster and to an editor and to a project person. Uh, I'm just going to need to delegate to a whole lot more people and delegate a lot more projects. Uh, so that's yeah. how it's going. This this has been a real learning experience for me. Uh, part of it showed me some of my faults, and part of it showed me some real potential and possibilities for 2020. 
Yeah, I um, can I echo some of your things? Because I think actually yeah. it is, you know, in an ideal world, if we get to our five and 10 year goals that we talked about last week, uh, and I was talking about hiring a second employee and I, you know, and ideally a third employee, let's blue sky it for a minute. You know, like I, I eventually get the studio up to three to five people, something like that. Yeah. Um, I still think the hardest hire and adjustment period is with the first employee than with the fifth employee because. Yeah. It's so hard to go from I'm I'm my own boss and I'm doing every job in this studio to, all right, well, now let's uh, share up. Well, you're doing that a little bit different than the way I would do. Ah, I mean, I guess that's fine. I guess. Uh, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine the way you do that. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe I'll just redo that. Uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah, you're not because wrong. Because usually if you, if you got yourself to the point where you're able to hire someone else, you're usually... Uh, hard nose, maybe a little bit uh, com- compulsive in your work habits, and oh, yeah. you you have really come to trust yourself because you didn't have anyone else to rely on, and you're kind of a workaholic, and so you couple all those together, and then you bring someone on to be like, and here's a chunk of the work, and it's really hard emotionally to pass that off and not feel like a loss of control, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can echo with you on that. That that uh, I'm sure that that's been a hard adjustment period. And it's not just you. That's that's for anybody that hires their first employee. I think. Um, and so for, to clarify for po- for for Popel at home, for people at home, <laughs> I like that I said Popel. Um, Popel is a multiple of the Pope. Like if you have six popes, then it's that's a right. Um, <laughs> a group of popes uh, is a Popel. Oh, as a Popel. Um, so uh, you had a paid assistant and a paid intern, right, for the summer? Mm-hmm. Is that that's is correct? That correct? Yeah. That's correct. And so the intern has obviously gone back to school, uh, the yeah. assistant. So one thing that I would recommend to you as a friend, it's just a recommendation, mm-hmm. but um, if you see the employee as leaving in six months, it becomes much harder to teach them to say like, okay, I could do this job in three minutes, or I could take 20 minutes to teach them how to do it. Because right. if they're there in a longer term, you're like, I'm making an investment in the future. And you're telling yourself that while while going through the somewhat painful process of teaching them a process right mm-hmm. but if you are in your heart of hearts like nah, they're gonna be gone in six months this feels like a waste of time i'm just gonna do it in three minutes like i get that too like that's that's hard right right yeah and 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 so it, it, you're exactly right and so what ended up happening was uh at, like the internship uh, who i brought in with the idea of doing a certain type of project which was drawing backgrounds uh, drew a grand total of three backgrounds, but then it, she was like, well, I want to learn in animation. And of course, you know, hey, look, a bright, shiny object. I'd love to do an animation project, you know? And, and so we got sidetracked on all of these great little projects, some of which, uh, they, all of which were were wonderful, but that they didn't serve the the primary purpose of the internship which was, you know, more to my detriment than anybody else, which is not a big deal. I, it's more, to be honest with me, for a college person uh, that's uh, that's doing an internship, my bigger concern there was that she learned some things and that, uh, you know, that that it was a beneficial experience for her. You know, I, I, I think at college, that's a little bit more important. I can, I can take right. the fact that I didn't get a couple backgrounds, the fact that she came in and taught herself animation using these projects that that makes me think that it was a worthwhile thing 
Sure. Uh, but but it, it definitely showed me the need for focus <laughs> above yeah, all else. And you know what, buddy? Uh, why did I call you buddy? What am I, a dentist? <laughs> I've never called you buddy. Never what before. Yeah, it felt very fatherly there for a minute. I felt like I was going to get chastised. You know what, I'm buddy? Next time. Calling my, I'm immediately calling myself to task because why the hell would I call you buddy? That was so weird and sincere, too. You know what, buddy? I'm either a dentist, like, all right, champ, up in the chair. Here we go. Or or I'm a cabbie who's a little bit pissed at you. You know what, buddy? Yeah. Fuck you. Get out of my cab. All right, buddy. Get in the back seat. You know how ta- ta- taxi cabs work. Get out. All right, buddy. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is that uh, I, too, am guilty of that. Sometimes when you, when you hire someone, you feel like, oh, another person that can tackle all the bright, shiny objects while mm-hmm. I stick to the core things that need to get done. And uh, I have also done that, too. So yeah. anyway, I think this is a good... Uh, Gabriel asked a good question, and I think, Brad, you had a, a really good and fair answer to that one. Um, let's yeah. jump on to the next one, if you don't mind, Brad. Can I can I uh, ask you this one? Please. Okay, this question comes in from our Patreon backer, Jeff Langkong, who writes, Dave and Brad, you have both shared stories about experiencing the insecurities that seem to go hand-in-hand hand with being a creative person. I have had times when I felt insecure about the quality and the value of my own work, and I have, for the most part, managed to plow forward and get through these moments. But I was wondering if you have developed any personal tricks or techniques you could share that get you through when your confidence in your talents was at a low point. Thanks for the podcast. It's one of the things I look forward to every week. Ah, thank you. Jeff, I appreciate that. So, Brad, this is a moment of of uh, reflection when you are not feeling great about yourself, or there's a down day, or a down week, or just a a, a sad patch. How do you uh, pick yourself up? What's what are the techniques that you use when you don't have to see value in your own work uh, to get you uh, to get you feeling confident again? Yeah, I've got something, and and this is tried and true that it's gotten me through uh, twenty years of being a creative professional, and I I I, I endorse it heartily, and that is denial. I I think <laughs> I, I think I think denial uh, is is more powerful than we give it credit for, uh, and and I'm actually only being halfway tongue in cheek uh, on that. Uh, and maybe a better way to put that is optimism. You, you part of the, the the challenge of what we uh, do is that you really have to nurture an optimistic spirit. Not not gullible. Not in other words, not not so optimistic that you can't see things uh, plainly in front of you, but optimistic that as you continue to put the work in, as you continue to make smart decisions, as you continue to uh, I, you know, persevere that things are going to get better. So, so I take a look at Dave over there and he, to me, looks like a naturally optimistic person, somebody that's just always been optimistic, always will be optimistic. Uh, I don't know that that's true, but I would bet that part of Dave's optimism came very early and and, and was nurtured in him so what happens if you're not that person? You know, what do you what do you do if you're not naturally optimistic? Well, right. it, it you've got to start by listening to that voice in your head. We've all got a, a, an internal monologue, and you've got to start paying attention to what that internal monologue says. And not only that, but how it says it, and realize that you you do control that internal monologue. Uh, and the best way, if you if you are in a commuter society, the best way to start to control that internal monologue is to me 
how, how you're treating the people around you. In other words, that 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 car that cuts you off on the street, uh, that person who stepped in front of you in line, all of that, the, the way you react to that affects your internal monologue and eventually is how you react to you when you screw up. If you yell yeah. at yourself the same way that you yell at the person that cut you off in traffic, there's a connection there. And part of it is you need to put, you need to put a lot more. You know how people always say the more kindness you put into the world, the more you get back. Yep. I, I, I really do believe that it, and not in a, in a mystical way, but when you put kindness outward, it affects your internal monologue. And so when you screw up, Instead of yelling at yourself like you'd yell at the person that cut in line at the 7-Eleven, instead you're like, ah, you know what? Just a bad day, I'll bet. Probably a person didn't even realize it. I'm not in a big hurry. What's the big deal? I'm going to get my big gulp anyway. Life goes on. Uh, if you can nurture that, I think your internal monologue will begin to so- soften, and that optimism is going to come right from that softening. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I think you are on the right track. Um, it's hard. If This is a harder journey for some than others. I think we should acknowledge that right up front. Oh, yeah. Um, some of us have either a monologue or a voice in our head that is much more negative and uh, darker about who we are and our impact on the world and, uh, you know, our day-to-day little steps that we take. Um, and for some people, it's a much harder journey to get that voice to quiet down or to tame it um, towards mm-hmm. positivity and, and, you know, uplifting thoughts about ourselves. So first off, we got to acknowledge that. Um, but I think Brad is right that it's, it's um, you know, it's kind of unfair to compare it to fitness in the sense that if you continue, you know, it's like building up good habits of eating right and going to the gym, b- both of which I, you know, struggle with but uh but you also have to to work on uh reinforcing with positivity the way you think about yourself like brad said and if you think about it like a weight loss regime kind of a thing you're you're doing it um in a controlled manner when you see yourself making mistakes note the words you use in your mind about yourself like i often call myself a silly phrase instead of being like, oh, you dumb piece of shit. How did you make us make that mistake? Oh, God damn it. My internal monologue will be like, well, who's a silly goose today? (laughs) Someone made a big whoopsie diddle, didn't he? Oh, that mistake is going to cost him a hundred bucks to clean up that spilled printer cartridge. Oh my goodness. Well, someone learned a big lesson. Um, You know what I mean? Like you could get really mad at yourself or you could say this too is a moment in life. It will pass. Uh, I've made a mistake. I'm going to learn from it. And, um, and like Brad said, I really, if anything, I suffer from having cultivated too positive an outlook on my like, because I'll be yeah. singing songs in the kitchen as I cook, being like, oh, I had a great day. I'm a good guy. Do a little, do, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Like, but counter counterpoint to that is the world is shitty to all of us. So try to cultivate yeah. a sense of kindness to yourself. There are worse things than being kind to yourself. Like if you can generate the love for the friends and family in your life, generate a love for yourself. Um, you are worthy of confidence. You are worthy of praise. And sometimes there are many years where it's only going to be you giving yourself the praise for the artwork. I had many of right. those. Um, yeah. And you've got to fight yourself through the darker days by, like Brad said, optimism, great. Positivity, great. And then I would also uh, suggest this as, a, as another real world action that you can do. As your cartooning gets out into the world, you're going to start getting some positive comments trickling back. Uh, 
if your brain benefits from those, maybe hold on to them. Clip mm-hmm. them out, pin them onto the board, what next to your drawing board, that kind of thing. I don't necessarily do that, but I know friends that have done that, and it's helpful to them because they're like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm no good. I'm not worth anything. And then they look up, and there's like a, a email that said, hey, your comic really made my day today. That that really, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. How can that not chipper you up if you look up and see that? Yeah. And then I would also say, and sometimes Brad and I agree on this, sometimes we disagree on this, I would highly recommend quickly deleting, ignoring, or blocking negativity online. Because uh-huh. Lord knows there's enough of it, and what does it gain you to engage in it in any way, shape, or form? You don't need to prove them right. You don't need to win the argument. Who cares? Delete it, ignore them, block them. I, I block far more than I used to because I'm like, oh, who cares? I don't. If they're right. going to be negative, you can swim in that, in that bile. I'm going to live a brighter, happier life. Thanks very much. Um, and uh, Brad, what are your thoughts on that last thought? I agree 100%. Don't engage. Don't even touch it. <laughs> and get rid of it. If that if that takes blocking or muting or doing whatever it is you want to do, uh do it. Get it don't don't engage in the slightest. And and the last point I'm going to make is hold on to your old work and every now and again when you're not feeling that great, uh go back and look at how terrible you were doing 5 years ago. <laughs> Like I do. And it's like, oh my gosh, I I pull up something from five years ago. It's like, wow, I was really stinking up the place. You know, and <laughs> but I I it took me getting to that so I could get to here, you know. And right. I know that with all things being equal, if I keep working really hard uh in five years, the stuff that I'm proud of today is gonna make me cringe in five years. And that's actually kind of a wonderful thing. Right. So right. It, it, Remind yourself, go back and look at that old stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm going in the right direction. This is this is going to be good. That, that's a great, great point, Brad. I will co-sign that. So let me ask you yeah. a different question that uh, uh, that was not asked in the question, which is, mm-hmm. what do you do, Brad, when your confidence is shaky or even your confidence is so-so or good, but the people in your life, your loved ones or your friends or family don't necessarily have confidence in you? Uh, what Ooh. do you do there, Brad? Because that's also a hard situation. I, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to avoid answering that question because, uh, I don't know that I've actually ever experienced that. My, my wife has always been like a hundred percent on my team. I, there's been times that I'm sure she's questioned her choices in life getting hooked up with me. Uh, but she, if, if she did, she never let it show. Uh, so I am unqualified to answer that question because I've been, for the most part, surrounded by people who were cheering me on. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how to deal with uh, being among people that don't have confidence in me. Uh, and so any any advice I would give would be hollow. Yeah. I um I will say this. So like you, my wife has been above and beyond extraordinarily uh, supportive and kind and loving and confident in my uh, career. And I owe her at very key moments, uh, helping to stiffen my spine to make critical choices because she's like, you can do this. You, I believe in you, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But I will say that my wife and I, and I, I, without even uh, asking this before of you, I bet you did the same. We have slowly culled from our life the friends who swim in negativity or swim in pessimism or swim in bile because life is too short. And uh, so those people in our life that were 
because why? Why would you? Why would you go through life only noticing the negative, only focusing on what's gone wrong, only focusing on on right. how things are imperfect? Um, to Brad's point, there is such power in optimism and positivity and a kind outlook. And if you are kind to others, you can be kind to yourself. And I think um, it is a practicable habit. It is hard. It doesn't always come easy. Um, as much as I was joking before about singing songs about how great I am, uh, there are many <laughs> moments where I am down on myself. But the trick is to course correct in, in the way that we talked about with goals. Notice that you've done it in terms of being mm -hmm. negative about yourself. Notice that you've done it. Remind yourself in a logical fashion all the ways that you're trying your best and then get back to it, you know, and yeah. um, that's always harder than it sounds, but it's a practicable thing. It will get better as you do it more and more. Um, so I think that's yeah. a good way to place to leave that one, Brad. Yeah. Any last thoughts? Last thought. Uh, li again, I, I just want to underline this. Listen to the voice in your head and then ask yourself, would you allow yourself to talk to your kid that way? Yeah, you know, or, or or would you would you even talk to your dog that way? Would did Dave, you know, some of the stuff, thoughts that you negative thoughts? Would you allow yourself to talk to Ollie that way? My little sweet booby? No, oh, Brad, God. I would never say that about my little sweet scuffer buffers. No. <laughs> so uh, that that that's my last thought. Uh, change that voice in your head uh, away from that and towards how Dave would talk to his dog, and and you'll you'll be you'll, you'll be either optimistic or ready to jump out of a window with in the next 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know what too though, Brad? A dog's optimism is actually, there's actually, I know you're, you're, you're going to laugh at this, but dogs bounce right back. Like a shitty things happen. They're maybe yeah. sad for five or so minutes, but then they're like, eh, life's okay. I'm back to being a dog. All right, great. <laughs> I and got a tail. It still wags. I can go forward. Cut to cut to my brain where I could occasionally still flip back to things I did wrong to in high school. You know, like oh. that, that dog is not going to forget or going to remember that. Uh, yeah. So we have to. Um, one of the things that I the I didn't I didn't do it for very long, but I I tried um, uh, meditation classes, and yeah. one of the one of the most helpful things that meditation taught me was the idea of literally just setting the problem aside, just continually setting the problem aside, like acknowledge that it's there, acknowledge that voice that's saying, oh, Brad, you're a piece of shit, oh, you're terrible. Yep, I hear you. Now go over there, I'm gonna work. You know what I mean? Like you keep you keep yeah. telling your brain, yep, I acknowledge that that thought is there, I'm gonna put it over here on the left, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that was very helpful. Um, uh, like I said, I didn't do it for many years, but the year or two where I tried, I did meditation classes, it was really a helpful process to, to learn, so... Yeah. Um, anyway, speaking of meditation, Brad, I have a meditative question I want to ask you before we go on our, our, our quick break here. And that yes. is, have you seen the news about the far side? Yes, I have. And, and <laughs> this has been fascinating. So they put up one image that, that makes a vague announcement and all of a sudden we're getting tweets and emails and uh and messages from everybody from patreon backers to listeners to people that just uh go past us on on social media and they're saying hey have you seen farsight is coming back as a webcomic and my first response is nowhere nowhere does it say that farsight is coming back as a webcomic uh that nowhere does it say that there's going to be new material and and in fact if they actually I, I i'm going to go out on a limb here and i may be wrong i mean nobody really knows i that's my main point to make is that so far they haven't said anything of substance about what's going to happen uh, my guess is is that they're going to release the archives on a website 
for the far side uh, because uh, uh, Larson has kept his or tried to keep his stuff off of the web for a long, long time. Uh, he's been very much against having his stuff on the web. And it's, if they had original material to come back with uh, to a substantial degree, the way Burke breathed brought Bloom County back, my guess is their marketing efforts in getting out the word on this would be completely different than right, the one that right. they're doing. That was my thought as well, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. They're not marketing this as Gary Larson coming back. It, 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 it It's what everybody's jumping to. And it might be a fault of their marketing because uh, they should have seen this walking up Broad Street. Everybody's going to jump to Gary Larson's coming back. Gary Larson's coming back. And when they if they end up putting the archives up and nothing else everybody's going to be really disappointed. Yeah, I. Uh, so I'm of two minds of you. I agree that the marketing would be very different if we knew yeah. that Gar- Larson was coming back and doing anything more than one or two new ones to help launch this relaunch site, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do admit that I think it's possible he'll do one, two, maybe even three dozen new strips or, yeah. or new panels just to help launch the new site. But mm-hmm. my spidey sense is the marketing would be so much different if you said new art from Gary Larson rather than, right. hey, the farside.com is coming back kind of a thing. Um, yes. And so to me, I'm reading this marketing as like, let's falsely get you excited because it's just a new website. That's it. You know, right. Um, right. And listen, is it a big deal that Larson is finally letting his stuff online? Yes. I mean, Larson was one of the few that was like, uh, quietly and politely sending out cease and desist, like, don't put my comics up on the internet. I don't want them on the internet. Uh, I don't like them on the internet. Uh, I don't like the way they're reproduced. Uh, I don't control it. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, is that Farworks, which is the company that um, Gary Larson uh, managed Farside with, I think I'm right in saying that it's made about 500 million bucks, um, uh-huh. the, the Farside has, uh, mainly off of those calendars in the last 10, right. 20 years. Yes. And my spidey sense, Brad, uh, although I don't know, is that I bet that both he was finally able to come to an amenable contract with probably Andrews McMeal or something like that for uh, control of the website. But Mm -hmm. um, and we could we could have John Glenn on the show to talk about this, but um, although maybe they wouldn't. Uh, my sense is the calendar sales probably have been dropping off over the last yeah. 10 years or so. Don't you think? Yeah. And that well, it would, boy, would it be a nice way to goose those sales to get the far side back online uh, in the same way that like really hard to goose a Miyazaki toy sale when you can't get a Miyazaki <laughs> film in the U.S., you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I was teaching my uh, storytelling class at University of the Arts yesterday. And it, 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 in as much as it amazed me the week before when I made a Godfather reference and only four or five of them uh, understood what I was talking about, I said, oh, I've got to try this on you folks. Uh, raise your hand if you've heard of the far side. And three hands went up. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I had a screen connected to the Internet behind me, and I, I pulled up a random far side cartoon, and I said, how many of you have seen this person's work? And three more hands went up in a, in a class of 30. Uh, I, it, these 20-somethings, by and large, were not very familiar with the work. And that, that tells me something it, because they're consuming their content on the web. And yeah. if his stuff is not on the web, it's going to directly affect calendar sales and coffee mug sales and all that other stuff if he's hoping to 
uh, continue to sell stuff to people who are under the age of 60. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Brad. So he uh, stepped away from the far side in 1994, yeah. right? So that's what, yes. 25 years ago, roughly? Yes. Uh, so that's, by the way, an auspicious date to relaunch the website 25 years after it ended. Um, so that uh, has its own potential there. But let me ask you this. So you, Brad, you've ended all your cartooning 25 years ago. You're now, yeah. I think, 70 years old. I think he's 70, maybe 69. Um, mm-hmm. He's now 70 years old. Do you think at 70, he's like, well, time to get back to the drawing table. I'm excited. To, after 25 years of, <laughs> of playing jazz and looking at marine life in the upper Northwest to get back to the old drawing table. Uh, that's what I need. I'm. I don't like these hundreds of millions I've got lying around. I need a daily deadline. <laughs> At seventy, he's lucky if he can piss on a daily deadline, <laughs> let alone do creative work on a daily deadline. Okay, I, and again, I think both Brad and I would be as excited as anybody if he did actually yeah. come back. But I think, I think, uh, reading the tea leaves of this marketing yeah. is that. And by the way, very cleverly done. Uh, I think that you would have marketed it very differently if he was yeah. actually coming back. And I think Breathed's return is actually a uh, a dark cloud as to why you don't necessarily want to come back because it's not quite ever as good as it was in the heyday, you know. And um, I mean, I I loved Bloom County. I Brad, I loved Bloom County, and I don't think I've read a single one of those ones on Facebook. You never loved Bloom County as much as I loved Bloom County, and I haven't picked, I haven't read it in months and months and months and months. Uh, it, whomever is directing his social media, I'd love to uh, grab him by the ear and and have some thoughts with them because I think I think their approach is all wrong. I, I I really would love to straighten them out and and give them some thoughts. But but even more than that, Dave, even more than that. You know who's the real loser in all of this? No matter what happens, any poor soul who does a single panel comic after after 25 years of being called a far side ripoff, these poor people that are doing uh, single panel comics and doing some really good ones. You know, there's some great single panel work out there uh, who's always had to be compared to, to Gary Larson. After 25 years, that was probably starting to dip and fade away as much as those uh, calendar sales might have. And now... It's going to just restart all of that. It's coming back. Just when you thought it was safe to go in the water again, you're going to be called a far side ripoff again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right in the sense that like when uh, when he retired or when Watterson retired, a thousand jobs bloomed in newspapers because all those yeah. spots were open. And uh, if he were truly coming back, and again, I don't think he is. Uh, no. Uh, boy, what a what a kibosh that would put on a lot of careers. But um, anyway, so I just thought it was fun to talk about that because it's interesting to see. I think, though, that if if Andrews McMeal is smart or, or Go Comics or United Media or however you want to describe the group that probably licensed it, uh, they probably finally found a number that was agreeable to him and a way that was agreeable to him to present the comics. Uh, they probably threw some money at it. It will be a performing site. Like, I, it'll do well mm-hmm. in the sense that Watterson is still the, one of the best performing comics on Go Comics. Um, and frankly, this is the future for what a syndicate has to do if they're if they're going to survive the 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 next ten years, which newspapers will absolutely not survive. Um, then they've got to figure out something else. So it's it is a smart play, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, although it, 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 smart play, don't expect it to be a webcomic uh, the way you and I understand webcomics. No, I think if anything, he might do one a week, one a month, something like that, that it's new exactly. to help drive traffic, and, and, uh, and then that's it. I don't know. Yep, I agree. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, our friends over at Wacom, W-A-C-O-M dot com, have, uh, they've loved the, the sponsor of the podcast, and they've signed up for the rest of the year, which is delightful. Oh, that's fantastic. That's super fun. Yeah, so they're going to be joining us uh, through the rest of 2019. Uh, and I wanted to share one story about my Wacom, uh, uh, because it's kind of funny. So do you know Laura D'Souza of uh, Least I Can Do and uh, all sorts of delightful comments uh. over the years? Yeah, I mean, Lar is the person that first taught me uh, Clip Studio. Without Lar's uh, guidance, I'd I'd still be using Photoshop like a schmuck. Uh, so but- first thing, I, I want to say this to, to Lar because it's delightful. It has taken me the better part of two decades to remember constantly that his name is singular, Lar, yeah. and not plural, Lars. And it is weird that there are two names that are both Lar and Lars in the world. You can be a Lar or you can be a Lars. Imagine if you could be Brad or Brad's. Like, hi, Brad's. This is no, my no, cousin no. Brad, it's... but my name is Brad's. Brad's is my father. I'm Brad. <laughs> so, Lar, Lar was the one that introduced me to one of the coolest tricks that I use on my Wacom, which is when you hold down R to do a rotate. Yeah. Uh, because when I draw on paper, one of the things that I do, and I'm, I'm sure 99% of our listeners do this too, I tilt the right side of my paper up by 5 to 10 degrees so yeah. that I'm kind of drawing at a little bit of a cattywampus angle there. You know, not mm-hmm. not fully uh, a, a switch, but a little bit of an angle. And I think that's probably a natural thing but because based on the way the body shifts against the table kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, when I first started using my Wacom, I was like, oh, I got to figure out how to draw, but with the tilt. So I was manually tilting my my Wacom and Lark goes, no, there's an easy, There's they designed a button for that in Photoshop and, and in, in Wacom. The, the, there's nine ways you can do that. You can just tilt it digitally. It's so easy. And again, this this is one of those lessons of like, sometimes Dave Kellett, no, not the greatest at reading the instructions. Because once I figured that out, I was like, oh, this is amazing. You can rotate the image. Yeah, and it is, it is really nice on a Cintiq. It, 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 you can get it just right. You between the angle from the uh, uh, from the horizontal, you you can really fine tune that angle plus the angle uh, of the paper to your chest. You can really get it just right when you're on a Cintiq. Well, and you know what's nice uh, um, with uh, because I do it with with drive especially. There are some lines that you can only draw in one direction. And I hope that makes sense right. when I say that. Right. Like, so the ability to rotate digitally with a uh, way more easier than paper to rotate it and do it upside down and then flip it back 
God, that's helpful. So anyway, yeah. I'm super happy that Wacom sponsoring the podcast again because hot diggity, that has saved my bacon with Drive uh, many a time, that ability to rotate the drawing really quickly. So do check them out over at WACOM.com. And Bradley J. Geiger, let's jump into what I think is probably one of the most interesting questions we've been asked in a while. Are you ready for this one? Let's hear it. So Bradley J. Geiger, this one said, comes in from Mark Ashworth who asks, Dave and Brad, can you list the top five questions most often asked that you would be absolutely unhelpful to the question asker if you could answer them. Brad, unhelpful questions. People that ask you about their career, about cartooning, about business. What are the unhelpful questions that they ask that even if you could answer them, uh, maybe it wasn't the best question to ask? What what do we got for them? Well, it's it's not that they're not good questions to ask. It's just that there's a lot of questions that come up that I can't answer for you because the answer is different for everybody. And I'll tell you that I don't know that I can come all up with as many as five off the top of my head, but I will tell you that the, the, the one that comes up most often is when will I know that I'm successful? Oh yeah. And yeah. that's one that I cannot answer for you because success is different for everybody. Success for one person might be quitting their day job and doing this full time. Success for another person might be doing one comic that really resonates with a certain audience and and expresses something that was uh, difficult to express before that comic came around. That might be that person's success and there's not one that's more important than the other and and let's face it in many cases our own personal definitions of success might have a lot of different variables and, and, and different importance and priorities for each of the variables. Yep, so yep. I can't tell you when you're successful, for example. Uh, do you have one to add to the list? Yeah, I think uh, the better way to describe this, instead of saying, like, we're going to give you five unhelpful questions that people can yeah. ask about their art career, I think the better way that Brad and I could probably describe it is to say there's a type of question yeah. that is is unhelpful. And I think Brad hit it on the head when, when he said that uh, it's a type of question where Brad and I, or anyone in your life that's answering for you, Brad and I can't want the thing for you more than you want it yourself. And we can't know the thing for you more than you know it yourself. And so the type of question that I think is unhelpful for your career is, oh, Brad, uh, can you help me figure out what kind of comic I should do? And (laughs) the answer to that, the answer to that is, no, that's so central to who you are and to what you want to say in the world and to, and to what fires you up in the morning. And when you're tired coming home from work, what makes you want to sit down at a drawing desk and draw? That's something as hard as it is sometimes to say, what's my next project? That's something, a journey you've got to take on your own. Brad and I can't, that's an unhelpful question. Brad and I can't help you with that one, you know? We can give you strategies maybe on how to get there, but we can't tell you what to do. That's a that's a central one. Don't you think, Fred? Yeah. And here's another one that I can't answer. And not only can I not answer it for you, but uh, <laughs> I won't answer it for you. How do I stay motivated? Uh, you cannot ask me how, how to make you motivated. I, I can't answer that because it's different for everybody. And it's troubling to me because, because if you need my help being motivated, you might not make it. You might not have what it takes to make it if you're looking for me to, to motivate you. Your, your motivation has got to come from within. This has to be a drive. This has got to be important to you. I can't make it important. It's got to be important. So a lot, I, I get a lot of questions. Uh, how, how can, how can, can you help me stay motivated? 
And uh, that one always makes me feel a little bit sad because if you're looking for external people to make you motivated, uh, you might you might be in the wrong you might be in the wrong career path. <laughs> you might be looking down the wrong road because because uh, if I did my best and gave you my best magic bullet, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna draw out a a uh, a, a schedule, a, a, an eight hour schedule. This is what you're gonna do on Monday every hour of the week, of the day, and here's your schedule for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and I'll give you some 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 thoughts for Saturday. Uh, uh, if uh, I could give you all of that, uh, but it's not going to work for you because it's not going to come from within you and you're going to fall off of that immediately. And, 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 and it's never going to work. Your motivation has got to come from inside. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I keep coming back to the question of you can't, uh, ask for an external that wants the thing more than you want the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe your cartooning you want to keep at a, a fun hobby level or an amateur level or right. a pro-am level. That's fine. But if you're trying to get to uh, the, the professional level and do it constantly and or quit your job and that kind of thing, then this is a, a self-motivation that you have to cultivate within yourself, um, that you have to want it more than watching TV. You have to want it more than playing video games. You have to want it more than, uh, I, I don't know, an extra hour of sleep a night. Um, and so Brad and I can give you suggestions, but truthfully, they're kind of unhelpful because you have to find the strategies that work for you within you. Um, and so I think broadly speaking, those that's the type of question that we find it helpful. I mean, we still try on Comic Lab to try to help people uh, get motivated, try to help people find a schedule that works, try to find a ways, uh, tricks that they can use and tips they can use to self-edit, to find the path that's best for them. But um, I do find as a class of questions, those are the hardest ones to answer because really, and I say this in friendship, not in, not in spite or, or cynicism, the, the answer has to come from your own heart. And, and yeah. so... Those those are the tricky ones for us to answer for you. Well, you know? and not only that, but it, it, so it, so in one way, it would be easy to to hear Dave something like that and say something like that and say, "Well, Dave's just being superior. He's he's putting himself above us all." No, no, no. Here's the thing: not only is it a waste of time for me to tell you how to how to motivate yourself, but if you're going to take this on as a career and do it and and build it to the next level and build it to the point where this is your uh, income and this is your main, you're self-employed and you're doing this full time and you're achieving the goals that you want. If you want that, then the act of learning how to answer this question is going to be fundamental in all of the other skills that you need going forward. Oh yeah. What a great way to say it. Yes. I can't, if I were to answer this question for you, uh, it, it's like that old, you know, teach a person to fish again, uh, uh, or give them a piece of fish. Uh, if I, I I could answer that question for you, but you haven't learned the really important thing that, that you need to, and and learning that is going to be important to the point of being crucial in the next step, and and putting that uh, that that ability to work in getting to the next step, and then the next step after that. So, these are skills that you need to, and, and that, frankly, you should be desperate to do this yourself. Yeah, you should. You, if anybody comes in and tells, I'm going to, I'm going to motivate you. Uh, you should, you should push that person aside and say, Oh no, you're not going to motivate me. That's my job. 
I'm going to motivate me. And because deep down, your ability to master that, truly master it, is going to be what takes you to the next step. And then you will be ready for the next challenge that you're going to have to uh, address. Uh, uh, some of these questions should be uh, questions that you demand the right to answer for yourself. Yeah, it's taking ownership. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we say that in friendship because there are times that Brad and I, uh, like, for example, uh, I will super personalize this. I could say to Brad, Brad, help me figure, like I did last week, in fact, Brad, <laughs> help me figure out what to do with Sheldon. I don't know. Here's the thing. It's ultimately not Brad's job. Brad can't, right. I, I, I'm, I can lean on him as a friend, uh, but ultimately this is for me to figure out. I have to figure out what's my motivation here. What's my, what's my impetus? What are my goals? What do I want to do with it? And so by all means, check in with people around you, ask people certain guiding and helpful questions, but know that there are certain kinds of questions, central, essential questions about being an artist that only your heart can answer. And so while we try on Comic Lab to help out with those and help nudge you in the right direction, um, some of those, like finding the inner motivation, uh, as much as Tony Robbins will tell you that he can give it to you, you got to give it to yourself. You know? <laughs> You're absolutely right. So, Dave, we have another question from a $5 Patreon backer that uh, I'd love to uh, bounce off of you. You ready? Yep, let's do it. This comes in from Jeremy, who says, Awesome show. I have found more respect for Ziggy and Orson Welles than I have ever thought I would. (laughs) 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 Ziggy. I laugh at the office to myself and only hope nobody thinks I'm sneezing internally. (laughs) 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 Yeah, if they think you're sneezing internally, they might think you're up to something completely different than Comic Lab. (laughs) My question is, I've been a comics illustrator for some time now, but never got the nerve to actually build a book till the past couple years. I'm more of an artist than I am a writer, and I have a hard time getting past the idea, past the concept phase. Two plus years. He has a hard time, Dave, getting past that concept phase. I tool around and I add and I subtract so much from one single story that I never get to penciling any pages. Probably, he says parenthetically, just a lack of confidence. How would you guys suggest I get out of the analysis paralysis phase? Should I use time constraints? I would love to be on my second book by now. Dave, (laughs) what do you got to say to Jeremy? Uh, My answer to Jeremy is that, first of all, Brad and I can see and share that pain. We have had that with starting a new project because especially when you're beginning, there's a thousand roads that lead from that first step out your front door, right? Like you could go Mm -hmm. in a million different directions and they all seem equally valid and you're, oh God, but here is the thing, uh, to, to, uh, to Brad's much earlier point on our earlier show, that you have to, at some point come to peace with the fact that if you are a comics illustrator who is not uh, familiar with writing all the time, you have to at least come to the peace with the fact that this first story might not be the magnum opus of your life. Mm-hmm. But to get to the magnum opus of your life, you have to stumble through this first one. So my yeah. advice, Brad, would be you got to start. You got to start. You got to just pick a path that feels like, you know what? This is as good as a start as I'm going to do. You know what? I'm going to do this. And then, Jeremy, you just got to uh, you got to roll with it. And to Brad's and my earlier points, as the writing comes along, you're like, oh, I wish I had done X, Y, Z at the beginning. Nope. Work it into the story somehow, reformat it, but just keep going, keep going forward. Uh, and then 
at the end, you're going to look back and you're going to say, well, I'm definitely a better artist. I can see <laughs> physically at the end of the pages that I'm better. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm a better writer. And now it's time to start story number two. And then you're on book number two, a year and a half, two years from now. And bang, this one's already off to a better start because you learn the lessons repeatedly in the back of your mind of all the mistakes you made from the first book. Um, and uh, now you're off to a better start with the second book. Brad, what are your thoughts? Well, way back last year on episode 15, we had a very similar question to this. Do you remember that? I love and, when you go into dad moments of like, you know, the episode <laughs> talk about something that I don't know. I, I just want everybody to know. I have no idea what episode that is. Not, I don't know how to even look that up. <laughs> meanwhile, hey, meanwhile, up, dad's hey, putting a gentle hand on my four, Look it up between episode 14 and 16. What do you mean? You don't know where to look it no, up. I'm just saying like, what a dad moment. You're putting your arm on our shoulder and going like, all right, gang, I talked about this on episode 15 and the timestamp is about two minutes, 23 seconds in. I spoke in a calm voice. It was a rainy day. I had had a pastrami sandwich that day. Anyway, I've been your dad. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. But listen, <laughs> so I back. So somebody had a very similar question and I said, listen, it might just be the case that this isn't for you, that maybe you're not meant to do this. Uh, and, and, and I, and, and we talked about that for a while and I, and I'm just curious, by the way, if that person is out there, uh, if, if he'd like to write in and tell me that I was full of shit or whatever it is, uh, I'd love to find out what happened in the, in the year after that. But I, I want to take that a little bit further. Uh, 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 and, and maybe, uh, speaking of optimism, uh, put, a, put, put another twist on that, that maybe isn't quite so dour. So let's start here. Number one, the problem with, I'm going to say 80% of the comics I see out there being independently produced. The biggest problem with web comics is the, uh, the person is very good at art and cannot write their way out of a paper bag right? We see this time and time again, a beautifully drawn comic and you read it and it's like, uh, nothing just happened there. Yeah, especially humor. Uh, it, uh, there's a bunch of four panel comic strips uh, being propagated that the person just cannot find a joke in a bucket full of jokes. Uh, they can't do humor. And I think your first step in realizing that you're more of an artist than a writer, like you said in your question, is a great one. That's a fantastic realization. You're uh, head and shoulders above a lot of the people out there who are drawing beautifully boring comics. (laughs) At least you know you're more of an artist than a writer. That's fine. So now you're at a crossroads. And I'm going to say you can take uh, a one direction, and that's Dave's direction, and say uh, just start doing uh, comics, put them out there, get past the first one so you can get to the second one. And that's a valid point. That's that's advice that I've given before, right? Got to do the bad one before you can get to the pretty good one and you got to do the pretty good one before you get to the all right one here's another path that's equally valid find a collaborator find someone who is a better writer and not a very good artist and partner with that person Uh, and that and those people are out there uh, take a look at the people that are, are uh, here's a great place. People are always say, well, where do I find a collaborator? Uh, go to Reddit's, uh, there's a subreddit called Writing Prompts. 
and people post writing prompts all there uh, all the time there and then some very very interesting writers write short stories to those prompts i guarantee you you'll find some very good writers hanging out in places like that who might be very interested in partnering on a project uh, if you do that, do look up, uh, and, I, and this one I don't know off the top of my head, but we did a show where we talked about collaborators. Uh, do enter into a contract and be smart and all that kind of stuff. Right, but right. But I, I think when you when you get to a point where you have the very wise realization and, and realistic, hey, I'm a little bit better at at one thing than I am at the other. You can you can say, okay, well, I'm just going to struggle it out and go down this path because I really want to learn to be a better writer. And that's valid. And that's a wonderful quest to be on. But it's also very valid to say, you know what? I'm a way better artist than I am a writer. Maybe it's maybe it's better for me to collaborate. What do you think, Dave? Well, I, I think a friend of mine once wisely said that it's good to cultivate a sense of optimism and positivity. Yeah. Um, and that friend was Brad Geiger about 20 yeah. minutes ago. And where did yeah. he go? What that, happened to that? Collaborating, <laughs> collaborating is very optimistic. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being a jerk. I'm just being a jerk. I thought that was funny. Where did the guy with the spring in his step and a bright future ahead of him, where did that guy go? That guy only sticks around for a few minutes at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the coffee's wearing off. What do you want from me? Get out of my That's face. That's right. <laughs> that guy can eat a bag of dicks. No, let me <laughs> let me say uh, to Brad's point. I I see and validate Brad's point. I think that's uh, that is a, a, a completely valid possibility. That maybe yeah. the best path for you is to find a collaborator, and maybe that's true for a lot of the people listening. Maybe you're a really strong writer and you can't draw your way out of a, of a paper bag, and so find a collaboration, make that work. Maybe your art is where you shine, and it and it almost doesn't even feel like work because it's so much fun and joy, and you're getting better all the time, but. You're writing, it feels like pulling teeth or sandpaper, and you can tell the final result is bad. Yes, a collaboration is, is worth it. So I think yeah. that is an absolutely valid option that Brad is presenting. But I want to say, Brad, um, mm -hmm. uh, again, this is just speaking from personal. I had never made a documentary before. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, you can get better as you do a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I I think that there, I sense in Jeremy's uh, email that... Um, that he wants to start. He wants to try it. He wants to give it a go. And there is validity. <laughs> in, in, well, what, what is that? What is that sign? Was that a Ziggy punchline? What was that? No, 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 no. I just, at the risk of being called a pessimist, <laughs> if you had started that documentary and hadn't gotten anywhere in two years, I would have told you to find something else to do. Well, can I tell you, Brad, I hadn't gotten anywhere in two years. It took me four years to make that thing. But you actively working on it. No, yeah, no, 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 no. But, uh, no, the, if, uh, we're talking uh, me, about two me, different let things. Let me rephrase this. Let me rephrase this. The first six to nine months of making Stripped, I didn't know what I was doing. We were stumbling. We were trying to figure it out. We were trying to figure out what the right equipment we should have. We were trying to figure out the right questions. Like the first interview took five hours because we didn't know what the theme was going to be yet, you know? So we right. were asked every question we could think of. And um, what I'm saying is in any process of trying something new with art, there is a winnowing period where you're throwing things against the wall and you're seeing what you're good at. You're seeing what your strengths are and you're working at what your weaknesses are. And it's OK for Jeremy to dive in knowing that he's already got a good comics editorial eye. Mm -hmm. He knows what a good comic is, both because he's an illustrator and because he's read a lot of comics. He knows what it is. He's just frustrated because he's not there yet. And I think that's a valid place to be. Uh, and the way to get past that is to just do the work, to just get started. Yep. 
Yep. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it is such a struggle not to. It, it, here's the deal. Here, I'm going to. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna no take this is good for Jeremy pass. to hear. Tell me, tell me what you think. I'm going to take what you really one think. more pass at this. Okay. You worked on Stripped taking steps forward for two years. Every step was, a, was another step forward, another step forward, another step forward. It was a two-year process, but by the end of a year and a half, you were 75% of the way done. Right? Wrong. But keep going at your point. Let's assume that you're right. Keep. Let's assume that you're right, that I was 75% done. Keep going. What Jeremy has told us in his letter is that he worked on, he's been working on this for two and a half years, and he hasn't gotten past page one. He hasn't gotten out of the starting gate. That's very different than a, uh, than a project that takes you two years that you're continually getting closer to the goal. He hasn't getting, gotten past the starting gate. He's stalled at the starting line. He's not getting closer to finish. He's stalled at the starting line. And I'm going to say in a realistic sense, that might be telling him something. Okay, so I'm just gonna uh, uh, let's. I'm gonna roll with the, your punches here. So I th- let, okay. I agree with you that it feels like in two and a half years, no physical work has been done. Nothing, no progress has been made on the story. No pages have been penciled on Jeremy's part. Right. That's. What, I'm gonna agree with you on that. But right. I guess what I'm saying is he's clearly been working on it. He's clearly been doing character sketches, uh, probably environments and themes. He's probably been writing a bunch of possibilities. I think the the problem here is not that he hasn't been working on it in his mind and on the page, but that there are so many options he just doesn't know what to choose, you know, in terms of plunking down, this is the story I'm going with. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are the arcs that I'm going to explore. So I will grant you that Jeremy's situation is different in the sense that uh, page one hasn't been produced yet, but I feel like if he just picks a story and starts, just pick the arc that you want, pick the character motivations that you want, pick the themes and the and the moods that you want, and just start, Jeremy. Honest to God, just do it. Just start the page. And yeah. then next week, do the second page. And if you want to be a writer and, a, and a, as well as an illustrator of comics, just start. And know that it's going to take you uh, in the same way that your art took you 5 to 10 to 15 years to get moderately good, it's going to take you 5 to 10 to 15 years to get moderately good at writing. That's okay. That's part of the process. But start. If you want to do it, uh, I'm going to be optimistic. You can get better if you do it and you continue going at it. But you just got to you just gotta plant that flag and start working on that comic. Um, now, yeah. you might find after three, four years, you're like, I see that I'm getting better. I, I uh, recognize that this is hard work, and I also recognize now this is not work that I'm enjoying and that I'm, I'm not getting better at a pace that I'm enjoying. And I think Brad's uh, advice is also valid. Then you go, mm-hmm. you know what, then? I tried it. I'm proud of myself. I did the pages. They weren't necessarily infinitely better than I hoped that it would be. So I'm going to go with a collaborator. Um, so I think yeah. Brad and I are, we would both kind of agree with each other, even though we have very different takes on this. Um, oh, yeah. Like, well, I still I, agree with Brad. I think collaboration is a totally valid method. I just want to support you trying um, uh, trying it once to write your own comic. Yeah. Well, and, and also, just to put a button on it, hey, this, this advice goes out to Jeremy and uh, maybe a couple hundred other people that are in the same pl- place as Jeremy. And the answer is going to be different for uh, uh, different people. For some people, collaboration is going to be the, the clear cut better fit. And for some people, just getting uh, past page one and getting onto page two. And like you said, is going to be the better fit. So I, I guess I just wanted to make sure that we were uh, mentioning that there are other options. There's, there's kind of a crossroads here. And the one, and, and, and by the way, 
choosing one option and then realizing that the, op- the other option is better is perfectly valid too, because I guarantee you all that stuff that you learned about writing in trying to write and not doing a great job at it is going to make you a much better judge of who that good writer that you do want to collaborate Very with true. Very down true. the road. Yeah. So you're going yeah, to get a, a, a sense of it. You're going to get a better uh, appreciation for it. Right. So even if my path fails, you'll have a better holistic worldview of what makes a good comic, what makes a good writer and how your parts fit into that process. So, yeah, I I do agree with Brad. I'm just saying that also we have to universally acknowledge that in order to get to a play like Hamlet, you got to write a crap play like Titus Andronicus. You can't just write (laughs) Hamlet right out of the gate. You got to write a couple of shit plays that no one ever does because they're terrible, like (laughs) Titus Andronicus. So that's what I'm saying is that let this be your Titus Andronicus. That's what I'm saying. You're going to, Jeremy, you're going to get to your Hamlet. I believe in you. I'm optimistic, but you're going to have to sludge through your Titus Andronicus. That's what I'm saying. Yep, yep. You got to do your Greystone in before you can can get to the evil ink, <laughs> and then you got to you got to do your evil ink before you get to the next thing. It, right. It's true. It's true of everything it's very true. that we yeah. do. Yeah, very, very true. Well, and anyway, Jeremy, I wish you good luck, and and uh, with ever which whatever path you choose, Brad's or mine, I think we both wish you good luck on that. Oh, one thing, just like we did with episode fifteen, guy. Uh, Check in with us, like down the road, like in a, in in six months or so. Especially if if you get going, check in and let us know how this is going. Let let us know what you did. Let us know if Dave's path was the better fit for you, or whether uh, whether my path was the better fit, and uh, and then we can lord it over the other guy for the rest of the show. Oh boy, we will not let it go. Whichever one of us ended up being no. the path that they chose. No, it, it, no, knowing who's likely to be the one that you chose, uh, I know that it, it won't get let go at all for the rest of the show. <laughs> I'll be listening to it. <laughs> so, Jeremy, you can help us as friends become absolute jerks to the other one by by oh, following yeah. up with us. So that <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, uh, we'll we'll get to fight over who gets to say this. You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Ah, uh, your hosts have been Brad Geiger, who I briefly <laughs> forgot about. I caught you by surprise, didn't I? I? You did catch me by surprise. The editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And Dapper Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And this week's sponsor of the show all the way through to the end of 2019, our good friends over at Wacom, W-A-C-O-M, maker of fine Cintiqs, Intuos, and all sorts of drawing products. Do check them out, Wacom.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by the very talented Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So we're going to go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. I do genuinely love how in the same show that you're like, just optimism and positivity, immediately switch it to, you know what, Jeremy? Give up. Walk off a pier, Jeremy. There's no future for you, Jeremy. I'm Brad Geiger. 20 minutes earlier. Oh, the world is beautiful, Jeremy, and I'm Brad Geiger, and you can have a bright future ahead of you. Cut to, Jeremy, you can give up right now. There's no future for you in comics.
You've got no path for yourself, Jeremy. <laughs> I, I I may be uh, like like a split personality. You might be dealing with a uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Hey, Dave, it's me, Brad, your friend. How are you doing? You know what, Dave? You can go to hell. You can go straight to hell. <laughs>